Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. So on the 19th, do you reach out to her? My wife reaches out and um, my kids are distraught. So, you know, this is our first animal and they want us to save the dog. So we reach out, but we were going to do everything we could to save the dog. These are the plaintiffs, Simone Brown and Kevin Noel. Simone says they purchased a puppy from the defendant, and the poor thing had parvo and had to be put down. The defendant sold them a sickly dog. She refuses to give them a refund, and here they are. They're suing for $3,000, the amount they're now owed. This is the defendant, Carrie Krigger. She says she told the plaintiffs Parvo is a common thing puppies get, and they should put him on an IV drip ASAP. Unfortunately, the plaintiffs didn't listen until it was too late. The puppy was healthy when they took it home, and she's sorry, but she owes them nothing. She's accused of a doggone shame. All parties. Please raise your right hand. What you are about to witness is real. The participants are not actors. They are actual litigants with a case pending in civil court. Both parties have agreed to drop their claims and have their cases settled here before Judge Marilyn Millian in our forum, the People's Court. The People's Court is now in session. The Honorable Judge Marilyn Millian is now presiding. Litigants have been sworn, Your Honor. Thank you, Douglas. You're welcome. Okay, Ms. Brown and Mr. Noel, you're suing Ms. Krieger for $3,000 in pain and suffering and vet bills and the cost of a puppy that, according to you guys, was unfit for sale. Let's start with you, Ms. Brown. When did you guys decide to, to buy a puppy? Okay, so in July of 2020, my husband and I purchased our new home. We were looking for an animal since then. We met Ms. Krieger through a mutual friend, and we spoke via text messages in regards to picking up and receiving an animal. We were informed Can you that hold on a, one second? So you guys, you folks live where? We are in New Jersey. And then she lives in South Carolina. So a mutual Correct. friend had told you that she was selling what kinds of, what kind of dogs? JD was a pit bull mix, um, and... Um, other than that, I don't know what other kinds of dogs she had in her possession, but my dog was a pit bull mix terrier. Okay. And did you have a pet in your house at all at this point before JD? No. All right. Uh, Ms. Krigger, tell me about the animals. Was this a random litter? Do you do this to supplement your income? Is this your business? What's going on there? No, this was the first litter of dogs I have ever had. Um, the dog that I had rescued was a female. She was in heat. My male dog and her got stuck. Um, she had six puppies. It was my first litter. I've never bred a dog in my life. I don't even know how. I just know they got stuck, and then I had, you know, six puppies. <laughs> okay, so your dog uh, is a what? Um, Trooper is what kind a of pit mix. Um, the dog that you rescued was what? A pit bull mix also? She, um, 
No, she was, I believe, I don't exactly know her breed, but she had, um, her mom was a bulldog and she was just in the middle of a road as, as a puppy. So I don't know what her okay, dad was. Okay, so you, all right. So you, a parent, did you sell all of these mutts or um, <laughs> were you able to sell all of them or just this one for $300? What happened here? No, ma'am. I sold, I kept two and sold four. All right. Can, uh, did any of them have Parvo that they um, no, ma'am. overcame? All right. So, um, Ms. Brown, go on. What happens? How does the dog get to you from South Carolina? Okay, so JD was given to us um, by another mutual friend of Carrie's. Um, and this woman here transported the dogs with um, a partner from South Carolina. And we picked up JD in South Jersey. All right, so then you get JD uh, on what day? We pick up JD on February 13th. And you paid how much for JD? On February 5th, it was required that we sent $50 by Venmo, and that was required for deworming and his first vaccination. On February 13th, when I received JD, $300 was required in cash. Okay, so you paid $350 for JD, and then what went wrong? Okay, what went wrong, um, once we took JD into the home, on February 19th, JD started vomiting, diarrhea, dehydration, not eating. So we immediately took him to Animerge, and that is the emergency hospital here in our town. Automatically, the vet took JD in and says, we want to do some tests, but in young puppies at this age, I want to immediately check him for parvovirus. We were at the hospital for about four hours, and sure enough, the test came back positive. Okay. So you had had the dog for six days. And Correct. where, if anywhere, had the dog been? Had you walked the dog? Had you taken the dog to, you know, a dog park, anything like that? The dog was nowhere. You know, it's just like a newborn baby. He was too young to be walked. Okay. So on February 19th, the doctor sees JD, and the doctor Correct. gives you the following documentation that she has examined she. the above animal and for the reasons listed below, I certify this animal was not fit for purchase. Vomiting, not eating five days after purchase, parvovirus positive six days after purchase. So February 19th, mm -hmm. the doctor tells you that. When did JD right. pass? On February 25th, the early hours of February 25th. Okay, so on the 19th, do you reach out to her? My wife reaches out and um, my kids are distraught. So, you know, okay. this is our first animal and they want us to save the dog, so we reach out, but we were going to do everything we could to save the dog. That would be reasonable financially for us. I'm very sorry that this happened to you guys. I know this is particularly difficult with children, but it's difficult with adults, too, to, have, to bring an right. animal in and open up your hearts and have that kind of love and then have this kind of heartache. Ms. Krieger, let me talk to you. When was the first time you heard that there was a problem with the dog? Um, on the 19th at 12.04, she had messaged and said that um, J.D. had spit up some white foam earlier in the morning. Um, mm -hmm. And then at 3.13 that day, she said that he had had diarrhea. And, um, you know, we advised her to take her, take him to the vet immediately. And she went, you know, she took the dog to the vet. And then she texted us um, around 5 o'clock and said that J.D. was diagnosed with the parvovirus. At that point, I advised her to get an IV because it's not the parvovirus that kills a dog. It's the dehydration, unfortunately. And getting them hydrated is the most important part. I've never had a dog with parvo, but 
my, our mutual friend has dealt with a lot of parvo in her own home. So it's significant to my heart. So apparently the vet that they took the dog to did not suggest going home with an IV. What do you think about that? My honest opinion and I think is I think that's very dumb. The uh, vet did recommend other options, but the vet was set, uh, telling us it's a 50-50 chance if we put JD in, um, he wanted to hospitalize him. And he did recommend that we, you know, put fluids in his mouth. But at the time, he didn't think it was fit for us to be giving a, a, a puppy an IV. Uh, Why? Because it has to be administered with a needle and, and stuff like that. We didn't know anything about it. I so. mean, this is all... So what happened on the 23rd? Ms. Ms. Brown, tell me what happened on the 23rd with the different vet who did say to put the IV. So on the 23rd, we took JD to Bansfield Animal Hospital, again, because he wasn't eating, drinking, and nothing was getting any better. So they refilled the medication that the first vet originally gave us and then gave us some research and taught us how to work the IV. But again, at this point, he was deteriorating so quickly. Try the IV, you know, and again- I think we all wish all the, the first vet might have said to you, here, let me teach you how to use an IV. Um, I think that probably goes without saying that we all wish the first vet had done that. So it is what it is. The next question right. then becomes, what do we do about it? Because I would, I would like to hear Ms. Krieger, you know, they're saying you sold them a dog that had a disease that kills dogs. And that's kind of what their vet said, that the animal was unfit for purchase, which is a specific legal phrase. Um, every mm -hmm. state has laws about the, the purchasing of puppies and you know what the liability is of the seller. If when you sell the puppy, you sell the puppy with a disease and or a congenital defect. And so that vet said on the 19th, hey, this dog had to have been sold with this disease because it's just six days later. So what is your defense to that? Let me hear. Well, I, I obviously feel very bad that the dog has passed. Um, I had six, I had five other dogs. None of my dogs, if the dog had Parva when he came, my puppies would be dead. The two that are at my house still, they'd be dead. They would have Parva. There's no, there's no escaping that any of the other five dogs would have Parvo. I'm, they would. If they're confined in an area together, Parvo is so contagious. You can have it on the bottom of your shoe and walk in your house and your dog can lay in that spot and it can get it. It can live on soil, on surfaces for a year, in a new house, anywhere, outside. Even if you have Parvo and you bleach your yard, it's not guaranteed to get rid of that Parvo. I feel devastated for them. Those puppies were in my care for seven weeks. I'm devastated for the loss of their dog, but I do not feel as if I sold a bad puppy. They have health certificates from Arva and King Street. They got their first shots. We did everything that we possibly could. Let's look could. at those. Right, you have a health certificate from your vet, but the health certificate is dated 2-6, yes, right? Okay. Yep. So my concern about that is if the pet is not delivered till 2-13, Everything you just said about it could be on your shoe. You take the dog for a walk. It's in the yard. Or it could also have happened at your place. So basically what right. you're saying to me is that if I tell you, Judge, that no other dog got parvo, then the plaintiff can't recover against me. You know, the incubation period is like three to seven days. That could go either way because it's on day six that um, the dog is, is 
is diagnosed, but it's a baby dog. I mean, it's a little dog. I doubt yes, they're parading the dog in a dog park. So, and they don't have another pet. That's why I asked those questions of them. So it can't be that every defendant in your position escapes liability if they just tell me that none of the other dogs got uh, parvo. Okay, Mr. Noel, you, part of your lawsuit is $1,920.58, I guess, to bring you to 3000 even, uh, for pain and suffering. Talk to me about that. Okay, the pain and suffering was, um, you know, just... Well, it's simply as it is, pain and suffering, um, you know, for the for the actual cost of, you know, dealing with my children and they're, they're upset because we're not able to get home. another animal um, for a while because what Miss Kruger explained that, you know, being that J.D. lived in this house, they said it would take another three years before we could feel safe to have another animal in here. So three years. Well, that sounds ridiculous. I mean, well, that may be what you're telling your kids. I hope they're not listening to me, but I don't think it takes three I years. Tell, I, I tell my kids that. But, you know, it's also going to be like, Yeah, tell them you know, it's 10 years. Tell, tell, tell them they can get one when they become adults, you know? Yeah, right. It's, it's some right. of that. It is no. Of that, but, Animals know, bring so be... much love and joy to a house. They really do. Um, you know, but that's with it comes a lot of heartache, too. Right. I know. Yeah. Right. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I know that animals are, bring us great joy, and um, I've almost never had uh, a, an, a lawsuit over an animal that didn't include pain and suffering. However, legally speaking, animals are property, and it's a contracts case. So you, even though there's a, a ton of pain and suffering involved, it is not legally a compensable element of any of these kinds of lawsuits. Your basic premise is, hey, you sold me a dog and the dog was diseased and um, I'm out all this money and I want you to pay. That's your basic premise. Um, give me one moment. Judge, can I also say something as well? Just to... Yeah. She yes. said she didn't have a, um, a sick animal, but on her Facebook page, she started a GoFundMe for her sick puppy. And, and was, I believe no, that was I, not me. On December 6, 2020, as everyone knows, my puppy is really sick. I'm getting ready to take her to the emergency in Florence. It's the Animal Emergency Hospital. If anyone can donate something to help on her bill, I would appreciate it. It's my birthday. This is my puppy. I really can't afford a vet but I can't lose my puppy on my birthday or any other day. Um, Ms. Krigger? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, you were just saying, no, I didn't, no, I didn't, but is this you? Is this That is me, uh-huh. Post? So yes, why were you saying, it no, I me. didn't, no, I didn't? No, I didn't. That says I went to the vet. Well, what'd you do? You just mentioned your dog was sick and then you didn't take the dog to the vet? No, I took her to the vet. I did take her to the vet. She was diagnosed with parvo, but it, what, that's not what killed her. So, Parvo was in your house, 
and you're sitting here telling me how nobody had Parvo? Are you kidding me? You just tell no, me right I... now that Parvo was in your house. When I asked if anybody got over Parvo, or if anybody had, any of the dogs had Parvo in your house, your answer to me was no, and now I'm finding out that your answer is yes? No, ma'am. I moved from And you're one telling house. me I mean, how contagious it is? It's so contagious. It it's so good that when it's there, it's there for a year. But somehow it surfaced in their house and not in your house? When you have a documented case of Parvo 60 days before you gave them the pet? No, not 60 days. Not even 60 days. 50-something days. And, yeah, exactly. And you had those puppies for eight weeks, so we know exactly where the dog got Parvo from? Are you kidding me, Ms. Krieger? Are you kidding me? God bless social media once again for all of the Thank evidence you. that it provides for judges to be able to figure out what the truth of a matter is. Because in every single case, two people come to court, they raise their hand to God, and they swear to tell the mm -hmm. truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And the only time I can really figure out what happened is when I find out what people said beforehand. Say it, forget it, write it, regret it. And here it is, it's in nice. black and white. I am ordering her to pay you the cost of the puppy that's $350. I am ordering her to pay you the $674.42 in vet bill. I am ordering her to pay you the $55 for the cremation. For a total judgment in your favor in the amount of $1,079.42. I if I could, I'd award you pain and suffering. It is not a compensable expense in this case. Now listen to me. I have a pitch for you on behalf of your children. I'm ordering her to pay you $1,079.42. Buy your kids another pet. The love outweighs yes. the pain. Okay? Yes, we will. Good we luck, will. folks. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you. So the plaintiffs recover about a third of what they were seeking here in the People's Court, $1,079. Uh, Ms. Krieger, the defendant, let me ask you. Your Facebook uh, post really killed you in this case. You know that. You realize that? Yes. Yeah, I do. I mean, you tell you how could you not bring that up to the judge and explain to her that there was parvo, you know, in the background of Well, because your... I had honestly because I'd moved and it's not in my house. I moved. So it's a different completely different house. Sorry about that. Uh, Ms. Brown, Mr. Noel, how do you feel now about the outcome of this case? I knew that was going to be I the outcome. I knew with the uh, Facebook post it was definitely something concerning. Um, she had a sick animal in her possession prior, prior to selling us our animal. So I'm very grateful that we had strong evidence to prove. And I hope down the road that she takes better care, taking care of animals, making sure they're healthy before she actually sells them and damages families and homes once they are ill. Well, good luck to you. And congratulations. Thank you. Very Thank interesting. You. Very interesting turn of events in that case. How about it, Harvey? What do you think? Well, in this case, the plaintiffs clearly proved that this dog had parvo before they bought it. Um, but you should know that when you have a private sale, you don't have a whole lot of rights unless you can prove something like this. If you buy from a retailer or a breeder, and I'm not necessarily advocating that, you tend to have more in the way of rights where if the dog develops a sickness within a certain period of time after the sale, you would have some kind of recourse, either a refund or, if possible, vet bills. So I'm not suggesting that you always buy from a breeder or from a store because there are problems there too, 
What I'm really advising is rescue dogs are so great. The question is, is there anything that you wish you would have done before you had children? Get a vasectomy, probably, right? <laughs> no. No, seriously. He doesn't mean that, kids. I really don't mean that, kids, please. That when they're on the psychiatrist's couch talking about Blaming how my, my you. dad didn't want to have us, we were all mistakes. No. no. Uh, uh, I think, you know, but before we had kids, we were, we're going to say 29 to 35 years old. Yeah, we had kids a, we had a little kids later late, in life, which uh, I highly folks. recommend. Right. Because I don't have very many regrets. I mean, I guess if right. I could do one thing, it would be travel more because we worked really hard definitely travel more because that's an age where especially as as a litigator which i was and so were you at that were you already no yeah i was a prosecutor no i was a judge by the time i had the the first one but we have been right. litigators for 10 years and right so you're constantly in trials you're in you're court in you're trials, always you're, you're busy busy, busy trials. And, and when i was an assistant u.s attorney i was traveling i, I would be in, in sydney australia one for one, one day i would be right I would be <laughs> like in, instead of right. taking the time and staying there we, right. we were so like kind of obsessed with work Right. That we, we just figured there'd be time for that later. And what happens when you have kids is there's no time for anything. Exactly. Um, so and you're trying to establish your career and get ahead a little right. bit and, and make make your mark effectively. Right. And you don't realize that you do hustling have time and, to travel. Yeah. It's like my mom used to say, we grow too soon old and too late smart. But if I could do it over, I definitely would have traveled a little more yeah. with you. <laughs>
um, typical instructions that we would get from a landlord on how to prepare the unit for the next tenant. I had no issues with it. However, number eight clause of my move out letter required me to prep for in-person showings of my unit. So of course, we're in a pandemic. I had asked the landlord, you know, is this provision still accurate? Is it still going on? Obviously, I don't feel comfortable having someone in my space during the pandemic, um, as well as having them come into my space and my germs. And that's when things went south. Immediately, it was just back and forth via email. The landlord just didn't understand why I had any concerns, didn't feel my, my concerns or my fears for COVID were valid. He mocked my fears of COVID, um, and he felt as if by me not wanting to allow showings, he was losing money on leasing to that next tenant. Yeah, that's exactly how it works. I mean, that is a legitimate concern. Um, You also have a legitimate concern. It's COVID, and you don't want to have to let people into your apartment, but you call it mocking you, but it's actually a very legitimate concern. So I'm supposed to eat $825 because you won't abide by the lease. Because the lease does say you got to let it be shown. So civilized human beings would work this out there has to be a way that that could happen with everybody being comfortable. Did anybody talk about a way for it to happen with everybody being comfortable? And what was the suggestion? We had asked the landlord if he would be willing to hold showings until July 26th. July 11th. July 26th. How was he going to rent it out in four days? Right. So that was at first. So we had, so we had pitched that at first to give a week worth of showings. Um, of course, no, he that's declined. five days. That's like, not a week. That's not a week. That's five days. So then what happens? So we had asked him if it would be okay if then I vacated by the 11th, um, completely left the property, took all my belongings. What then would we be able to compromise and, you know, allow the person? Okay. That's not, so, we had- that's not so bad. Mr. Brody, what about that? Why wasn't that acceptable? First of all, I don't recall this part of it where she brought up this um, element of the 11th. I am reviewing. Okay, so hold on. Let me show it to you because it's right in an email. She writes to you on June 26 at 6.32. I have a health condition that puts me at risk for coronavirus, and my fear of contraction is very real and can result in my death. Social distancing and mass precautions do not protect an individual to the fullest extent. I am not asking you to not show the unit. I am asking you to wait until at least July 11th, the apartment would be cleaned and presentable for showings. So she did offer that. And why wasn't that acceptable? You just didn't want her calling the shots or? By June 11th, the pool of people who are going to be moving in for the next month are gone. The way nobody's looking to move in. You feel by the 11th? I mean, I feel that, that is, you know, yeah. huge amount. By she, the, he's reduced by his pool of the people who potentially might rent it by 11 days. But also Mr. Brody, we have a pandemic. So was was a suggestion ever made that people would wear masks when they came in? Um, so we had eventually, going back and forth, I had asked um, the landlord, will you know, PPE and masks be required? Um, he actually told me that, C- that CT and New York had no mask mandate at the time. And although he could suggest to prospective tenants, yeah, although he could suggest to prospective tenants to wear a mask, he will not enforce it. Okay. And he suggested that you just exit the apartment. Yes. During showings. And you yes. were not comfortable with that because? Um, I worked from home full time at the, at, the mo- at the time of the incident. So I was unable, and I host live trainings during my job, so I was unable to leave. Well, you're able to leave. You just, you set up somewhere else with a mask and a computer and, you know, it's not true that you're not able to leave. 
But uh, Mr. Brody, um, why wouldn't you just say, yeah, I'll have prospective tenants walk in with a mask? These, these emails that we're reading are on June 26th. The June 26th, I didn't want, we, that was the beginning of it. It then continued where Gladys had verbal conversations and she agreed to wear a mask. Yeah. In the beginning of the conversation, first of all, also and to at make this the time, tenants was, wear a mask because there were emails where you're saying, I will absolutely not make the tenants wear a mask. Prospective tenants wear a mask. So was Gladys offering? Gladys is who? Gladys is the property manager who conducted the showings. I'd like to talk to Gladys. Thank you, Gladys. Can you raise your right hand? Do you solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? I do, Your All right, Gladys, you're the property manager? Yes, I am. I do see a lot of correspondence between you guys, but the correspondence that's in writing is is you you or or Mr. Brody saying uh, that's not required by the law, and we're not going to make people wear masks. So was he is saying that there was a verbal conversation between you and and Ms. Crawford, where you, wherein you tell Ms. Crawford, sure, no problem. Tell me about that. Every time Mr. Brody gives me notice that a tenant was going to vacate, I called the tenant the next day, meaning I spoke with Ms. Crawford on June 27th, and I did explain that all of the showings would be conducted. I don't do any showings without um, someone not having a mask. Well, then why is Mr. Brody telling... I'm sorry, hold on. Mr. Brody has emails. If you're saying that as soon as she gave notice, you told her that, Mr. Brody's saying... You know what? I'm not going to quote Mr. Brody from memory. I'm going to quote Mr. Brody. This one's from Mr. Brody at 6 p.m. Showings can be conducted. We'll be abiding by social distancing. Just don't go within six feet of any prospects or Gladys. Additionally, you don't need to be home during the showing. You will get notifications regarding each showing. If you are scared, you can leave the apartment for the duration of the showings. Your request that we wait is being denied as, being, as deemed selfish. Because you're scared, I should lose $875. Because you were scared, you should just walk out of your apartment for a few minutes. Also, out of the 20 move-outs I did since coronavirus began, you're the first person to think I shouldn't conduct showings. So you get told that you're going to be charged um, a fee because in your lease it says if you violate any provision, you will be charged $300, which Mr. Brody is genius. I have never seen anything like that. I have been a judge presiding over these cases, reading leases. I have been a tenant. I have been a landlord. I have never seen anything like that. And you signed that lease. It said it says specifically you, you're getting fined. We're having a fining system um, if you violate the lease. So he tells you, you have an obligation to let us show the place. You're not letting us show the place. If you don't let us show the place, I'm going to charge you $300 for each time that you violate that part. And your response to that is what? Just said okay. Yeah, you, you, you didn't debate with them. All right, so now, Gladys, you send a text to her telling her, please be on notice that we're gonna show the apartment. The first one is giving her 24 hours notice. That sounds reasonable to me. The second one is giving her four hours notice. You know, four hours is an appropriate notice. Someone called you and said, hey, come to your house in four hours, clean it up and do the, you know, that's kind of, not, okay, so in any event, what happens is that you say, you send an email saying, I'm not letting you in and you're not showing it to anybody either day. Yes, um, for the 629 showing. Okay, all right. Mr. Brody, you feel, you haven't had a problem with other tenants. You feel like she's creating a problem because she just doesn't want to let you show it. So let me give you the floor, talk to me. Okay, so first of all, this was an evolving situation. However, over the course of time, there's a lot of time that, that transpired between my initial email and follow-up conversations that I had with Gladys, Gladys's conversations with the tenant, my verbal conversations with the tenant. We evolved. 
And of course, very quickly, I back down because as you pointed out, masks are they're, they're, they're fairly nominal and why not? And then we agreed to, to everything, right? Um, now, it wasn't really an agreement because Ms. Crawford didn't agree to it. However, something that I really very strongly believed is that Ms. Crawford, it, a showing does not take a very long time. This is a very small apartment. Her whole apartment was about 700 square feet, right? It's a two-bedroom apartment. You really walk in, walk out. Um, it, it, you know, five minutes is a very long time. That's if somebody's going to be going through the nooks and the crannies. It generally takes less than that. If we give you enough notice in advance, you know, we'll, if we get send a text message one hour in advance, call you when we're outside. You could go out to the common area, wait for five minutes, and we'll be back, and, and we'll call you when we leave the apartment. Right. Right, but you this understand way, that you can't give someone four hours notice. That's not under the eyes of the law. That's not reasonable. You have to give them like twenty-four hours notice. So, in the eyes of the law, there's no amount of time that's stated. There isn't. Um, it's it. You know who who gets to decide it? The judge when it all hits the the fan. That's who decides what's reasonable. And during a pandemic. I don't think less than 24 hours is reasonable, especially when people are working at home. She's working at home. She'd have to to find, uh, hold on, let me finish. She'd have to find alternative arrangements. No, I find that 24 hours, because the law doesn't fix the time, so I'm supposed to decide what is reasonable in in in, in an exact circumstance. In this circumstance, I don't think less than 24 is reasonable. She wants you to pay for her U-Haul. She wants you to pay uh, for pain and suffering. And she wants you to pay. What's the other thing you want her? Oh, you want the money back that he kept for damages. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So let's talk about the damages first. I have pictures that you have submitted about the damages. What is this a picture of right here? That's markings on a wall that she defaced my wall. And what was that? That she nailed something in or? Yeah. Well, I don't know what the act that she did was. I wasn't present. Um, Your Honor, I'm honestly not sure where in the apartment that wall is or what those markings are. Okay, what happened on, uh, what am I looking at here, Ms. Uh, Crawford? That looks like certainly 300 and something dollars worth of damage, which is what he kept from your security deposit. I mean, you can't turn it, you didn't get it that way, so why would you return it that way? Some of the markings he took pictures of are from previous tenants, and we have photos to... Yeah, here's how it works, though. You're going to have to prove that, because this is a place that's run like a Swiss watch. You know, they're very bossy. They got lots of rules and they're entitled to it. It's his property. He can decide how he wants to run it. He's got a property manager. She's on it. So if you're going to tell me that you moved into a place that looks like that, you better be able to prove it. Every tenant and every landlord before and after any tenancy should be taking, the tenant should be taking close pictures of any damage and sending it to the landlord and saying, I'm not complaining, I don't care, or yes, repair this, or whatever, but I don't want to get blamed. But you're not going to be heard to say later on a place that runs like this. So, no. As far as the $391 that was deducted for repairing the walls, I find that that was appropriate. You are suing for $800 collection amount. All you have to do is contact the, the, the credit bureau and get it cleared up. In fact, yours is already cleared up. I think your mother's is still pending or the other way around. But that's going to be cleared up. You're not going to get $800 for that. And then why would Mr. Brody be responsible for paying your movers? Because that was a result of pain and suffering, having to abruptly vacate the apartment due to concerns. Well, no, it's separate from your pain and suffering. Your pain and suffering is $3,593.10 to get you to the statutory maximum of (laughs) $5,000. Listen, folks, I know everybody's mad at everybody. I think I got this and I've got everybody's number here. Mr. Brody, um, if 
a showing happened and you re-rented it, why you didn't leave just well enough alone and move on is beyond me. But you put it on their credit report and uh, basically said, take that. And then she filed a $5,000 lawsuit against you. And she said, no, you take that. I'm suing you for five grand. I assume that you were a businessman with better things to do than sit through this trial. Think about that the next time. And maybe we don't end up in this position. It's up to you. I don't care. I got to be here anyway. All right. So, Ms. Crawford, let's start with your lawsuit. On your lawsuit for $5,000 against the landlord for pain and suffering, the U-Haul, um, the monies withheld from security deposit, I am finding in favor of the landlord and not of you. We are done. That is my verdict. I wish you all very much luck. So the plaintiffs fail in their effort to uh, get $5,000 out of the defendant in this case. Uh, Ms. Crawford, Ms. McDonald, this is your chance to tell me how you feel about that. I can respect the judge's verdict. However, I did have something to say that I wasn't able to say. Um, he also went on to say that he will ruin my credit and ruin my life. The, the judge didn't think that was very fair of him to do that either, and she admonished him for that. Ladies, you lost a case. I'm sorry, but that's the way it is. Mr. Brody, uh, let me ask you about the judge's decision. What the uh, the plaintiffs just had to say. Did you hear that? There was a lot said back and forth in the beginning of the dispute. Um, in no way did I did I meet it in any sort of way other than just in the height of a fight. Um, I didn't, uh, you know, I lost myself for a moment at that time, but of course the judge saw the truth right through, right through this ridiculous $5,000 allegation, um, which had no merit and no basis nearly made the judge laugh when she finally understood what was going on over here. That'll do it for this case. Harvey, what do you think? Doug, I have to tell you, I think this is a really interesting case. Um, COVID has raised so many legal issues that have been untested in the courts, and judges are trying to navigate this through this just the way everybody else is. I mean, this is a situation where the plaintiffs easily could have left the apartment when the prospective tenants came in to look, and it would not have compromised their health. So they didn't do that. As a result, they lost the case. But I will say there are a lot of COVID issues that have been unresolved in court, and my guess is we are going to be seeing these cases not just in the next week or months, but probably years. Hey judges, my neighbor cut the roots of my tree, which were growing onto his property, and my tree died and fell on his house. Who's responsible for the damages? Thanks, Carissa. First of all, when a tree is partially on one person's property and grows onto another person's property, either because the limbs are, you know, the limb, either below the below limbs, the limbs are, it's from hell to the heavens. Right. You have a right to the use of your own property. And if those limbs are coming over, you have the perfect right at your own expense to cut those limbs. And if the roots are, are, are invading her, you also have the perfect right to cut the roots. Now, there are all kinds of things that could have been done to prevent what happened. But now what happened happened. And so the issue is, does the person asking the question have any liability? And the answer is unless the person who cut the roots can prove that the person who owns the tree has something he ignored doing, some duty he ignored doing, like the tree was decaying or whatever else. No! You're out of luck. If in fact it tipped over because it no longer had its root system, right. then heck no. <laughs>
No, you don't have to pay for it. Right. That's going to do it for this session of the People's Court. We'll see you next time.